Well, welcome, guys, to uh, the Man Up, and uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to read a scripture, and uh, we'll get started here. Tonight's session is on vocation and uh, our work as men. So let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you this for this evening. Thank you for your grace upon our lives, which you've called us to uh, to work, and you've called us to work as unto you. And so I pray that you would, uh, you would help us, Lord, even those that would be listening to this perhaps um, digitally, that would you, you would encourage us to be men who work for, for you, Lord, that, that we would have that in mind as we work, that, uh, that you, you've called us to this. It's a vocation. It's a vocation from you. So help us, Lord, sanctify us. Uh, renew our minds in this, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I want to read to you uh, Psalm 24, verse 1. It says the following, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And I just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the Puritan's view of work. And if you've never um, heard about the Puritans, uh, they are men who uh, would have uh, dedicated their lives certainly preaching the word, uh, men who uh, we've benefited from, uh, men who would have a, a, a solid view of, of work, a biblical view of work. And so I'm going to quote one of them, Richard Sibbs, and he said the following, The life of a Christian is wondrously ruled in this world by the consideration and meditation of the life of another world. And so, so what I think that speaks to us is the following. What we do here follows us into eternity. And uh, I think that's biblical. I think, I think there is something about that uh, that we, we can sometimes fail to capture. And I think a, a key to this is the, the Puritan doctrine of vocation. So the Puritans would have spoken of two callings in a man's life. First, there's a general calling, and then there's a particular calling. And so the general calling is the same for everyone. You can probably guess what that general calling is. It, it, it consists of a call to conversion and to godliness. So the general calling, another Puritan named William Perkins would have said it this way, is the calling of Christianity, which is common to all that live in the church of God. It is that whereby a man is called out of the world to be a child of God. Now, that's all, obviously for everyone, right? But then there's a particular calling. And a particular calling consists of the specific tasks and occupations that God places before a person in the course of daily living. So, so tonight we're talking about this particular calling. It consists of the specific tasks and occupations that God places before a person in the course of daily living. So did you catch that? Who places it before you? God does. It's God who places this particular calling before you. Now, it's not limited to the work that a person does for a livelihood, but it really does focus on that. And so since God is the one who calls people to their work, the worker becomes a steward who serves God. Now, you've heard about the Puritan work, work ethic. Uh, I, I, think, I think this is something that, that is lost let me tell you something. I think this is something that's lost on the Latin culture. 
Okay? Remember, this Puritan idea of work would have come from the Reformers. Martin Luther, many Reformers. Uh, it would have come from sort of a continental Reformed theology. Now, who, does, who would that exclude? Catholics. And who would rule the Latin world and their worldview and thinking? Catholics. And so, many of us grew up with that. Um, now, let me ask you a question. Who, economically, ruled the world? Now, excluding Spain, excluding what, what they did when they came and sort of, um, you know, found a lot of gold. But after that, who would have ruled the world? The Irish. So, it would, it would, have, been, it would have been the Protestant. It would, have been, it would have been the evangelical. It would have been the person with the work ethic. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that the Puritan work ethic is like, okay, that's the Bible. But I'm saying the Puritan, Puritan work ethic, I think there's a payoff. Now, again, we're, we're going to a higher calling here. We're going to a calling that, that honors God, that glorifies God. But, hey, <laughs> most Latin countries served Anglo countries. If you think of... That's my singing country. There you go. Uh, most Latin countries served Anglo countries. If you think in terms of banking, if you think in terms of industry, uh, hey guys, and you know what the sad part about it is? Uh, I had a chance to share the gospel. Actually, Zeke shared the gospel with this guy, with a guy that's British, and uh, he claimed to be an agnostic. And uh, Zeke's drawing him out. We were having a little lunch the other day, talking about worship, and this guy claimed to be an agnostic, and he said, "Yeah, you know what's happening in England today." He says, England's a, Catholic, or a Christian nation. He was explaining to us, you know, the Anglican church. He says, but, but no longer. You know, half of England now, according to him, would be Muslim. Now, that seems like a lot. But I would, say, I would say England has lost that. And I would say we have lost that. And I would say that the economic downfall is coming and probably already here, if you think about it. Okay? Uh, but particularly in the Latin cultures, and many of us grew up there, there's, there was actually a teaching that work was part of the curse. Anybody ever think that? That, I mean, the curse, when the curse came, God, work is part of the curse. Well, that, nothing can be further from the truth. Work is not part of the curse. Yes, work was cursed, but work existed and, and was to be enjoyed before the, the fall. Okay, but the fall affected our work. So, the Puritan uh, work ethic... Um, God is the one who calls people to their work. That's the first thing. We're then stewards who serve God. Thomas Manton would have said it this way. Every creature is God's servant and hath his work to do wherein to glorify God. Some in one calling, some in another. All right? So, so this Puritan view that God calls all workers to their tasks in the world dignifies all legitimate kinds of work. And I think, I think what this teaches us is this. When we complain about our work, I think we've got to consider we are complaining about what God has called us to. Now, obviously, we're talking legitimate kinds of work, okay? So, so therefore, this, this, in this doctrine, it, this doctrine of vocation, it sanctifies common work. In fact, William Tyndall would have said that if we look externally, quote, there is difference betwixt washing of dishes and preaching of the word of God. But, as touching to please God, none at all. So, if you're looking at pleasing God, right, my vocation is where I'm going to please the Lord. This, that whole, this whole secular, sacred distinction, uh, which, which I, I don't buy into, 
would say that I can only please God if I'm preaching the word of God, if I'm, I'm a minister, let's say. You know, a, lot, a lot of young people you know, get sucked into that. You know, somehow, I can only please God if I'm a pastor or if I'm doing missionary work. No, 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 no. God calls you to your vocation. God's looking at your, are you completing your vocation in a way that pleases God? I think this Puritan doctrine of, of vocation uh, integrated life in the world with the spiritual life. So there's no longer this, this limited, it's only, the spiritual life is only limited to the sacred space. So my spiritual life's in the sacred space, but I can do whatever I want in my shop. But, but rather, uh, Richard Steele would say this in, in a classic of, of his called The Tradesman's Calling, where you may most confidently expect the presence and blessing of God is in your shop. Oh, I mean, think about this. How does this marginalize God? If, if the sacred's only on Sunday morning in the church, or whenever you want to say it, and somehow your work is excluded. Somehow when you're working at FedEx, glad you wore a uniform. I didn't ask you to do that, but that's a great prop, okay, right there. <laughs> Cal's in his work uniform. Uh, that's it, man. I, I've been in his office. That's Except his work when I go uniform. to meetings on Capitol Hill. That's right. And then I'm in a suit. There you go. Okay, so, so this view of work as vocation... It offers more than simply the possibility of serving God in one's daily work. It offers the possibility of serving God through or by means of that work. To work is to serve God. Baxter's exhortation was for workers to, quote, serve the Lord in serving their masters. So therefore, we, we throw ourselves into our work. Perkins wrote, to serve God in the serving of men in the works of our callings the works of our colonies. Uh, yeah, here's the original Puritan work ethic. Quote, Be laborious and diligent in your callings, and if you cheerfully serve God in the labor of your hands with a heavenly and obedient mind, it will be as acceptable to Him as if you had spent all that time in more spiritual exercises. It's actually, it's Baxter. So all of life is the Lord's. I opened up our, our session this evening with this Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. You know, uh, here's the deal. If God be God over us, he must be over us in everything. There's not one molecule outside of his control. So God, the Puritans saw God in the commonplace. This is where the, the God was, was in every place. And, and there's a quote from Baxter. He called it a drop of glory that God might allow to fall upon your soul. So everywhere you are, working in your office cubicle at a break time. And I think this is beautiful because I think what it does, I, when we were sharing the gospel with this guy, and his name is Guy, so please pray for Guy. Uh, he was saying, the thing I hate the most are hypocrites. Well, I mean, if you think about it, this whole sacred or separate distinction this whole lack of understanding of vocation. A guy could even be an elder in a church, let's say, or a leader in the church. But in his office, he's acting, you know, this is business, man. I'm just going to, I'm going to make a buck. Somehow God's not there, you know. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote the following, the beautiful, cheerful integration of William Tyndale's world. He utterly denies the medieval distinction between religion and secular life. Such integration is one of the most attractive features of the Puritans. Their goal was an ordered and disciplined daily life that integrated personal piety, corporate life, and everyday work, and the worship of God. Okay, so we, we tend to become a bit pietistic or pietistic. 
It's about me and my personal little life. So I have my quiet time at whatever time in the morning or in the evening. But then when I go to work, suddenly I'm at work. But no, there's a drop of glory at work. Even with a boss, it might be a little bit difficult. Or a rush hour where people are yelling at you through the window. Or, you know, people like me coming in and yelling that my Apple computer doesn't work right. There's a drop of glory. I thought this was just great to, to read before I introduce Roth, and he's going to kind of bring us into the question and answer time. Some do's and don'ts in the workplace. Now, I'm not advocating all of these. This is from Richard Baxter's a Christian uh, directory, but I just thought this was interesting. Uh, like, I, like I'm saying, this is not scripture, but listen to it. Benefit from it as you will. Here's some do's and don'ts in the workplace. Choose that employment or calling in which you may be most serviceable to God. Choose not that in which you may be most rich or honorable in the, lo- in the world. And I just think he just... Think of my son-in-law, who works very hard as a teacher. Uh, you know, I mean, this isn't just for guys that are going to go in the ministry, okay? We know that they're maybe limiting what they can earn, but it's all of us. You know, is God God? You know, or is the driving factor how much money I'm going to make? I'm not saying by that you choose to be poor, okay? But I'm just saying, you know, what's, what's driving you? Next, be diligent in your callings and spend no time in idleness. ESPN Sports Center on the web, confession. And perform your labors with holy minds to the glory of God and in obedience to his commands. Next, idleness is a robbing God. Boy, we could teach that it's robbing our employer, but forget the employer. How about God? You know, idleness is a robbing God who is the Lord of us and all our faculties. Take pleasure in your work, and then you will not be slothful in it. And if you have a, 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 a vision of calling and vocation, and that God gave you that vocation because he's sovereign over all, suddenly, if you're complaining about your work, aren't you really complaining about God? This interest of God in your lowest and hardest and servilest labor doth make it honorable and should make it sweet. You know. Ah, I could wax eloquent for hours about this one. I was an economics major. Okay. That does not impress him at all. <laughs> at the University of Florida. <laughs> okay, stop it up. All right. The question is, how they use that which they labor so hard for and save so sparingly. If they use it for God in charitable uses, there is no man taketh a rider course. Remember that riches do make it much harder for man to be saved. It's interesting. Again, this is Richard Baxter's Christian Dictionary Directory. Like I said, I'm not saying I'm advocating it all, but I'm just saying it's interesting. Just saying. If God show you a way in which you may lawfully get more than in another way, without wrong to your soul or to another, to any other, if you refuse this and then choose the less gainful way, you cross one of the ends of your calling and you refuse to be God's steward. So that kind of balances the first one, i.e., hey, you can make more money doing this, don't just refuse it out of hand, but be a good steward. Some of us have bigger brains than others. Some of us have more capabilities than others. Some of us maybe are born to more privilege than others. Rather than complaining, say, okay, great. I'm going to use that for the glory of God, the previous one, and those riches are going to be used in God's service. You must not desire nor seek to get another's goods or labor for less than it is worth. That is, work hard. Earn your keep. You have far more cause to be afraid of prosperity than of adversity. 
of riches than of poverty. Boy, that's wisdom. The devil suiteth his temptations to men's daily work and business. So, here endeth the message of Alpino and beginneth the message of Rafael Gavilan. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you, Al. Um, guys, I'm I'm, uh, I'm humbled to uh, be here, and uh, you know a lot of the things Al talked about in terms of temptations and things that would uh, that would challenge us in our vocational callings, or things I struggled with when I was um, I, I went into the uh, you know I went to the military academy. As many of you know, I came out of there commissioned an officer. I served my first. Uh, Seven or eight years of service, I was a, I was a non-believer. And, uh, many faithful officers I worked with evangelized me, and uh, when God saved me, um, as I as I grew in my Christianity, I had what what Al mentioned there. I had a feeling that hey, you know what uh what am I doing? You know I'm, I could be I could be ministering the word. I could be evangelizing. Here I am writing plans and orders and doing military training. What, didn't sit quite right with me, and uh, as the years went on, by God's grace, He showed me that you know I, I was serving Him. I was very much serving Him in my vocation for many of the reasons that Al articulated. So I want to uh, cover with you some notes. I hope they're helpful. Uh, I know we can all be tempted. I want to very much articulate, guys, that this is not a secondary doctrine. You know, this is so closely linked to the gospel, so closely linked to what God is doing in, in redeeming the world. Um, it, it is a primary means by which he does that is, is our interaction with the world. You know, very often, you're not going to get a co-worker to go to church. You know, he is going to see the gospel in you. He's going to see the gospel in your work. Uh, God will be glorified in that. If it weren't for that, guys, you know, many, many people would never see Jesus. So this is not secondary. The other thing I would say, it, it, uh, you know, there will come a day when, you know, this earth is, uh, is ended. You know, this, this, the skies and, and the earth will be melted down. And you know, because in, in Genesis um, chapter 1, verse 28, God ordains us or commands us to subdue the earth, I believe that's part of his perfect design. Work was part of his original design. It's how, what he intended for man to be, in, in, in part a reflection of his image, because God is a worker. Uh, but just the mandate he gave us, it was, it was one of the original commands. God gave us, if you go to Genesis prior to the fall, only a few commands were given in Scripture. One of them is subdue the earth, subdue the earth. Um, so I believe from that that once this history is played out and once he uses us in many different spheres, but certainly in our vocational calling, to help, redeem, help him redeem the earth, to call many to his kingdom, this will continue. You know, when Christ returns and we rule with him, I believe we're going to be workers in that sphere. It may be, we don't know exactly. Many of our vocations are going to be gone. There will be no soldiers in, in that world because there will be no war. So I'll be without a job for a while. But, but the point is, we will be working. We will be imaging him. God is a worker. His, his person doesn't change. If his person doesn't change, God will continue to be a worker. And we will, we will continue to image him. And that will do it perfectly. So this goes beyond... Not that, not that redemption and God's work right now is not monumental, and that should dwarf us. It does dwarf us. But it will go beyond into eternity. You know, our, our status as workers, as God-imagers, will go beyond that into eternity. So I want to I cover two main points with you guys. How many, 
it looks like a lot of folks have Bibles. I'm going to ask you guys to read uh, certain scriptures as we go. Um, so I want to cover two main points. One is why we believers in the church, we, we're, we're talking to Christians now, work. The second is how we should work, how we work. Um, why we, let's start with the first point. Why we believers, why we work. First of all, God commands it. And it's, uh, as I mentioned, this is an original command. In, in uh, Genesis 1.28, God gives us dominion over his creation. Um, and he tells us to subdue the earth. If, if you look at, uh, I got this from my study Bible, the Hebrew word for subdue is kabosh. Kabosh, and it implies the subjection of something for the purpose of service. So God is telling us, subject the earth to your service. It doesn't mean abuse it. It, it means subject it. And God, God created it for that purpose. If he gave us the command to subdue it, he created it for the purpose of being subdued. So it's, there's an element of mystery there. It's, it's, it's a little bit wild. It's a little bit untamed. You know, we have an ocean separating land masses. Um, and he intends us to subdue that. He intends us to, to overcome that. Um, I am amazed sometimes when, I, when we stop. You know, let's, let's just uh, stop our hectic pace for a minute and look around you. You know, we have cities built in deserts. We have cities built in, in uh, extremely cold weather environments. We have human beings that can live underwater. I mean, a, a, a military submarine can, can go out on deployment for, for multiple months at a time. Uh, really, they're, they're coming to the point where they're almost unlimited about the amount of time they can spend underwater. So we have um, aircraft that can take us from one point of the earth to another in a matter of hours. Uh, we have, even in our fallen state, we have, because God has put this in our DNA, we reflect his image, and he is a worker, you know, and he told us to do the earth, and now, he, you know, we're little machines, and we're going to do the earth, you know. Even in our fallen state, we, uh, we do these things. Imagine now when, when sin is removed, you know, and we are, we are doing this in eternity, and we're able to build perfect buildings and perfect vehicles and perfect aircraft, and who knows what it will be like then, but, but we, will, we will further reflect his image. But it's, it's original mandate, guys. It's original mandate. He commands it to subdue the earth. You know, we, uh, you know, there's six billion people in the world. We, you know, we're just one piece of it. We got in this room carpenters, uh, salesmen, uh, Policymakers, stewards who, who attempt to steward creation. We got pastors. Uh, we have a uh, we have FedEx in the room, but uh, you know we we have future workers, students right now. That's your vocation right now. You're preparing for that role, you know. But prepare well, man. Prepare well. Uh, so, no such thing as a small vocation, guys. No such thing. You know, it's it's part of the it's part of the mandate to subdue wherever God has planted you. Subdue, subdue what's under you. Um, second, Genesis chapter 3, we have the fall. Now we're tainted. You know, now work becomes burdensome, toilsome. By the sweat of our brow, we're going we're gonna to bring forth food from the earth. So now it's, now it's a burden, right? Now it's, it's not the same enjoyment, um, but God still commands it. And um, the, uh, if we look at Exodus uh, 20, the Ten Commandments, let me, uh, let me have somebody turn to Exodus 20, uh, verses 8 through 10. Elias, why don't you go to Exodus 20, verses 8 through 10. You there? Okay, why don't you read it out loud, buddy. Loud enough so everybody can hear. Okay. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord. No. 28 to 10? Uh, 
This is unscripted. Chapter 28 verses? 8 to 10. 20. Actually, I think chapter 20. Chapter 20 verse 8. Sorry about that, buddy. Chapter 20 verse 8 to 10. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your servant, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates. Okay, thank you. What I wanted to point out there is within, we usually focus on keeping the Sabbath holy as we should, but God did specifically say six days you shall labor and do all your work. So it, it is very specifically commanded that we continue that role as, as workers for six days. If you're, if you're ever in doubt about what a what the work week should look like. It should be a six-day work week, you know. Uh, obviously, we dedicate the sixth day maybe to mowing your lawn or fixing things around the house, but it is a six-day work week. So let's not move to the European model. But, uh, <laughs> ooh, no offense. But, uh, all right. Uh, second, why do we work? Second, to glorify and image God. Uh, beyond the command, God is a worker. Let's... Uh, it's amazing, you know, we, we do it flippantly, you know, we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, God's work, Christ's work on the cross, you know, and that is the work He does, obviously, that's the work He does, He's entrusted the agency of this world to us, but His work is broader than that, uh, but let's, uh, let's review some scripture on that, let's, uh, for God the Father is a worker, let me have someone go to uh, Judges, Judges chapter 2, verses 7 and 10. David, can you get there? Sure. 7 and or 7 through 10? 7 and. Okay. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Verse 10. I want to highlight there that God uses exactly the right words in Scripture. So he that is a reflection of God working, all the work that God had done for Israel. You know, that's, that's obviously all scriptures God breathed. That's, that's a deliberate use of the word work to define what God had done for Israel. God's work on behalf of Israel. And similarly, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Or the work that he had done for Israel. Very good. Uh, let's look at Jesus, the son as a worker. Um, let me have somebody go to uh, John chapter 4. Verses 31 through 34. John, can you go there? John chapter 4? Yep, 31 to 34. By the way, Scripture is full of references to God's work. I'm just highlighting a few here, but you can certainly find this in many places. Gospel of John chapter 4, verse 31? Through 34. This is an older version of scripture. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples to one another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, 
and to finish his work. Okay. So again, Jesus is about God's work. You know, he is about God's work. Again, not not a flippant use of words there. The word work is used deliberately. You know, he is about his Father's work. Um, and then let's look at the work of the Holy Spirit. First uh, Corinthians twelve eleven. Fernando, can you go there? Twelve eleven. Got it. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay. Some of the translations will translate empowered as worked. Excellent. Um, also, uh, anybody have an NIV? No? Sure. I'll put it get it. Okay. Go to 1 Peter 1 2. Peter 1 2. Um, it says, 1 Peter 1 2, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So the work of the Spirit. Again, very specific. Um, so God is a worker. All three persons of the Trinity is a worker, or the Trinity is a worker, are workers. Uh, and God also defines our standard for work. Obviously, God's work is perfect. It's uh, without flaw. It is, it is what we should use as our model. When we set about our day to do whatever God has called us to do, that's our model. You know, how would God work? How would God approach this, this, this uh, problem? How would God approach this sale? How would God approach this construction? Whatever it may be, that is, that is the model for how we work. So we image Him in that. Um, very interesting verse. If I could have somebody turn to Matthew, chapter five, verse sixteen. Marcus, you got, you got it. Go ahead. In the same way, let the light shine before others so that they may see the good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Okay. This is obviously broader than just our work. It could be a, a service we do to someone. It could be a, a kindness, a mercy we extend to someone. But it does include our vocational work. It does include the things we do within our vocational calling. But uh, an int interesting part, if you look at that verse carefully, typically when you do good work, when you've uh, exercised your gifting uh, and, and you've glorified God with, with a good piece of work, whatever that may be, typically the, uh, the reaction is not for particularly unbelievers to glorify God. That would not be the typical reaction. So if, if you look into this verse deeply, you see that there's, this is a platform for evangelism. You know, the typical unbeliever is not going to glorify God when he sees good work. What he's going to say is, Wow, you do good work. And that becomes, so the, the leading to the glorification of God by this unbeliever is that's, that's our stage from which to glorify God, from which to say, I, I, I do what I do by the grace of God. I, I'm able to work like this because God, is, God has allowed me. That's, that's our voice to speak. 
to give witness testimony to, to bring him glory because they're not going to do it on their own, obviously. Uh, I got a buddy at work, a guy, uh, been an army planner for a long time, <coughs> about my age, maybe a little bit older. We, I, I enjoy working with him. He's a real man's man. We, we, uh, we kid around about football and all sorts of things at work. Sometimes he's a planner as I am. I'm a planner as well. Uh, so sometimes we'll, we'll get into a problem and, you know, I'll come up with a solution and uh, he'll, he'll get excited and he'll pump his fist and say, you're the man! And uh, I say, no, I'm not the man, but I know the man. And, uh, he knows I'm a believer and he knows, he knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say I don't, I'm not the man, but I know the man. So I think that's, that's a manifestation of what Christ would have us do here is, you know, let, let our work be such that... Uh, I don't know where this, how this man takes it. He usually, you know, he's quiet after I say something like that. But, but I think, you know, I hope that the day will come when he will give glory to God. And certainly, you know, I'm very grateful that God used my work to, to lead to that. Um, why do we? Glo- uh, third reason why we work, obviously, God commands it to glorify and image God, to fulfill the two greatest commandments: love the Lord your God, and love your fellow man. Right. Obviously, when we're obedient to God, when we work, when we uh, we offer our work to Him as an offering, we're obedient to what He's mandated. By the way, uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John fourteen twenty one, where God God said, "He who has my commandments and keeps them, He is the one who loves me." So, God puts a very high premium on obedience, and uh, if, since He has commanded this, our obedience to the command to work obviously reflects our love for Him. More than that, we can offer, and we'll talk about this in a minute, we can offer our work to him as an, as an offering. You know, much as I was talking about earlier, we can say, Lord, uh, I do this for you. This is, this is unto you, Lord. Uh, so it is very much, our work can be an offering to God. It can be a manifestation of our love for him. Uh, second, it can serve our neighbors. You know, I think, again, going back to the original mandate in, in John one twenty eight. You know, we look at our world now and we see a broken world, but we still see much common grace here. You know, if um, we see that, you know, there are men who collect our garbage. There are men who build our homes. There are people who grow our food. There are people who care for our health needs. You know, there are people who care for the movement of our, of our materiel and cargo. You know, there are people who, who maintain our schools running. You know, um, all sorts of spheres and, and things going on. We are, we are able to live as a community. We're able to prosper. We're able to subdue the earth because there is this um, division of labor. If, you know, if Al had to grow his own food, build his own house, build his own car, keep it running, make his own clothes, you know, Al would not have a lot of time to preach the gospel. Now, he, he'd probably preach it naked and hungry, but the, uh, <laughs> well, it wouldn't be pretty. But... Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the point is, that's God's great mercy. You know, He allows us. He allows us even in a fallen world, and, and by it we're able to prosper. By it we're able to subdue the earth. By it, we have people who can dedicate their time to inventing aircraft and inventing submarines and moving from point A to point B because we serve each other. When uh, I lived, uh, was assigned to Robbins Air Force Base in Georgia in the mid '90s. That's where Shalene and I first started our family, it was there in the early 90s, and uh, it was a funny thing, it was a very Christian community, at least the vestiges of Christianity were there, and uh, 
you know, we, we were new to the area. We'd ask somebody in our church, hey, what's a, what's a good mechanic? And they'd say, well, yeah, you can go to so-and-so, or you can go to so-and-so, but you can go to so-and-so. He's a Christian. You know, or what's a good dentist? So, well, you can go to so-and-so, so-and-so, but so-and-so's a Christian dentist. And uh, you stop and think about that. The implied message is the Christian's going to do a better job. You know, he's, he's going to do good work, and he's not going to gouge you. Okay? And, and, and that's a form of love. You know, when I go when I go to get my car taken care of, if if you are the mechanic and you say, you know, I don't know who this man is, but his car is broken. You know, I'm, I'm going to fix his car. I'm not going to gouge him. I'm going to do the best I can to fix it, make it run right, so he doesn't have to worry about his car. He can he can do his business. It's not that a manifestation of love, is it not? You know. And the same could be said for a thousand industries. You know, is it is it not a manifestation of love to care for someone in, in very practical ways. And in, in the original mandate, before there was a fall, that's probably the way we would have lived. That's probably the way we'll live in heaven, is we'll care for each other in that way. It'll be, you know, it, 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 sin will not be involved. We'll, we'll, we'll cook for each other. We'll, um, we'll build things for each other. We'll move things for each other. And we do that now within the church, our little community. But imagine that on a global scale. Imagine that on a global scale. You know, imagine that. Imagine homes where the roof doesn't leak. You know, uh, cars that don't break down. You know, food that's always good, never cold. You know, never cold, John. But uh, the, uh, that's, so it is very much a, a manifestation of the second commandment to love each other, is to do your work in a manner that would serve, whether believer or unbeliever, do it in a way that reflects God's glory and, and shows them that you love them, you care for them. Uh, now, how should we work? Well, we covered some of that already, guys, but, but generally that's, these are the, the why we work. Now let's move into the how we work. Um, my first bullet there is, as unto the Lord. And Colossians 3.23. Could I have someone, uh, Gary, can you look up the Colossians 3.23? Sure. 3.23 and 24, please. So whatever we do, guys, we do it for God first. And that is, that is what we do. You know, let me, let me tell you about some of the temptations, and these are common. No temptation is seizure except what is common to man. How many guys here have ever experienced fear at work? Fear that you're going to lose your job. Fear that your boss <clears throat> is not going to like what you did. Um, I don't know how many briefings I've gone into in my career to a senior officer. We're... You know, even a little bit of butterfly, what is, what is that really an indication of? Just a little bit of nervousness, what's that an indication of? Fear. It's fear. It's fear. Fear that he's going to reject me. Fear that he's going to make me a fool. Uh, you know, if we're, working, if we're working to the Lord, if we're not working for man, if we're working to the Lord, if, if what I do is an offering to God, you know, if, Christ is, if, if, if it's Christ who justifies, who is he that condemns? So... Um, you know, we can we can give our word to the Lord. We say, Lord, this is for you. And even if man doesn't find it acceptable, you know, even if you're in a vocation where you know what, what you do is subject to opinion, um, we we have done 
our Christian duty. We have, we have fulfilled this commandment. Do it as unto the Lord and not to man. Uh, so it's a tremendous antidote to fear. It's a tr tremendous antidote to disappointment. How many of us have done a, put forth our best effort on something and our supervisor has found it lacking and, and we walk away disappointed? We say, ah, oh, I didn't like it. Now, an element of that is okay. I mean, if, if there's reason, uh, but, but generally, if, if, if you're working solely for your supervisor, if, if your intent is just merely to please this man, then we haven't been obeying Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It's the word for the Lord. You know, and if, if we've done, if we've done our, our, our best within the gifting and ability and provision that God has made, we can walk away with a clean conscience, with a good conscience. Uh, bitterness, likewise. How many of us have worked and someone else gets the credit or... Uh, or you're, you're not lauded the way you expected, and, and over time you grow bitter. You, you know, you're in the same job for 20 years, you see people get promoted around you, and you grow bitter. Well, this is the antidote right here. You know, there is going to come a day of reckoning. You know, God will want to know how you use your, your two talents, or your five talents, or your ten talents. If you say, Lord, I use them for you, you know, your, your conscience is clear. Your, your battle with bitterness is over. Uh, so, work as unto God, man. That means... Before we love men, we have to love God. Um, second, and this is very important, guys, we, you know, we, are, we are in a fallen state. We, you know, we, we continue to battle our flesh. Is a, we call on the Lord. We're aware of our need of His blessing. Um, Bentley, can you go to Psalm 127, please? Strive, even as we pull, you know, we, we do our within our ability, within our, our gifting, within our provision to do the best possible work we can, guys. You know, we all know, we all know that we, we, we can't lift a finger whether or not for God's grace. You know, He chooses us, He saves us, He situates us, He puts you in, in a place around surrounded by certain people, um, He gives you certain education, certain training, He makes certain opportunities available to you. He inspires you. He puts in the heart of men a desire to do, you know, produce something, produce art, produce beauty, produce music, engineer something. I've had a desire in my heart to build things since I was a little boy. That's that's planted there by God. Uh, so we can't, you know, in Him we live and move and have our being. We can't do anything without His grace. You know, certainly, I cannot be having this discussion with non-believers. So we start there. You know, we, we could not be having this discussion. We could not set our goal or our aim where we're setting it tonight if we were unbelievers. You know, it, it just, this would be foolishness. This would be foolishness. Uh, 
So what we do, we do by His grace. And it's important to remember that, guys, because we are, you know, as, as high as we aim and as hard as we work, we're going to fall short. We're going to have days when we, we transgress. You know, there, even in our best works, there's going to be a, a little taint of sin in it. So it's important to remember this. You know, we are dependent on Him. We are, we are grateful to Him. We work by His grace. Um, we're going to cover, I'm sure, in a few weeks, either with Corey and Al preaching Ephesians 2.10. You know, that He is uh, created in Christ Jesus. This is speaking to the body. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So even our work, you know, even whatever you happen to do for a living, you know, whatever sales you happen to make, God prepared those before the beginning of time for Marcos to walk in, to serve someone with, with uh, office products. So what a, what a blessing that is, that God, God would do that for us. You know, he, he commands us to work and he prepares, he equips us, he situates us, and he prepares the good work there for us. We walk into it, we do it. What a, what a mercy. So, again, guys, we should strive, we should do our best. We, sh- we should follow these commands, but we, are, we need to be completely cognizant that it's by His grace that whatever gets done, gets done. Um, three, we work with joy. Um, you know, we, we've talked about the fall bringing, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, the fall bringing sweat and toil to work, the temptations to be lazy, the temptations to push aside work, to procrastinate. All those came with the fall. Uh, however, let me, uh, Corey, can you go to Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 26? There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat, who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Thank you. So, by His grace, guys, He's He's taken the curse, and for those of us who are who are in Christ, He's given us back joy. We can now again enjoy our work. You know, we, obviously, we battle the flesh. There's still indwelling sin remains, but we can now enjoy our work. You can go to work, whatever you do, and you can enjoy your vocation. You can you can put forth an honest day's effort, and and be be joyful as you start, be joyful as you work, be joyful when you come home, and and you can do that by the grace of God. So. We work with joy. We work with joy. Um, and finally, uh, two more points. Next to last. Be aware that wherever we work, we are we are light and darkness. And we've talked about that a little bit. But many, many folks, again, for many, many folks are never gonna, never of their own volition, are gonna enter a church. You know, that's not that's not a. So they're gonna see Christ through you, and that, and that's not by accident, guys. You know, we. We spend a lot of time our working, our waking hours at work in our vocational calling. That's that's God's design as well. You know, that's God's design. That's where His people rub up. That's where light meets darkness. You know, that's where they see as something is different. You know, they see it. They notice it. They see it in your work. They see it in your approach. They see it in your humility. Uh, 
That's not to be taken lightly, guys. That witness, you know, the um, I remember as a as a captain at Fort uh, again at um, Robbins Air Force Base, I was supervising a contractor in a construction project, and uh, I told the guy a little white lie, and uh, two days later, the, uh, the Holy Spirit was just convicting me, and uh, I told this contractor, I, I looked him in the eye, I said, I told you a lie. You know, two days ago when you asked me that question, I told you a lie. And I explained to him how I lied to him. And uh, I started crying. And uh, this man was flabbergasted. So, don't let your pride get in the way. You know, if you need to humble yourself at work, humble yourself. Ask forgiveness for laziness. For, you know, if you've done something less than, a, less than what God would have you do, because that's your witness, guys. That's, you know, you may not like the folks you work with, but it's, it's who God put there. You know, that's, that's the field. That's your field. Okay? So work it hard. Work it hard. Um, finally, uh, and again, Al, Al brought this up, and I think the Puritans, I think the Protestant work ethic is a, is a recognition of this truth. And you can find it in two places in Scripture. One is Hebrews 1.3. Um, Cesar, can you go to Hebrews 1.3, please? He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited in more excellent than theirs. It's obviously referring to Christ, and the part there I wanted to focus on is he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So, again, as Al mentioned earlier, there is nothing that's happening in this world right now, guys, as legitimate activity-wise. No production, no factory working. You know, uh, David Behar is right, probably right now at Cintas washing uniforms. Nothing is going on in that plant that's not under, under the divine oversight of God. Um, so, there's nothing. He, he sustains the universe. You know, all this activity, all this... Six billion people running around doing things. He's sustaining it. He's sustaining it. He's given us agency, but it, it, it is his sustenance that keeps it moving. Uh, the other one is John 1 3. Aubrey, can you go to John 1 3, please? human agency, but, you know, there's it's not one car, one home, you know, one lawnmower, one straw, one glass, nothing that has been made has not been made under the oversight of Christ. You know, nothing has been made that wasn't made by Him. So, there's no such thing as an unholy activity. Obviously, we're talking legitimate activity. We're not talking about sinful activities here, but there's no legitimate activity that is not under His, his divine oversight. When He has planted you where He's planted you, Clearly, you're a witness, but you're also, you know, his agent to run that particular sphere of influence. He's put you over. You know, you're his. You know, I'm his agent for contract support planning at Southern Command. There may not be many people in the world who care about that, but God cares about that. He cares about it very much. 
He cares about, not just for the sake of my witness, he cares about the work itself. Mm. He cares about how well is planning being done at Southcom, you know? So, because it's his world, he's given us agency, and he told us to subdue it. So, the same would be true, you know, whatever your vocational placement right now. So, guys, with that, I end, and uh, thank you for your time, and uh, thank you, thank you, Al. For, uh, oh, excellent. Thank you. Lord, I, I'm the first to stand in line and say that uh, there have been days, many days, when I have not, uh, I've not loved you or loved my fellow man. I've, I've loved myself more. And I've uh, been lazy. I've complained. Uh, I haven't had the vision, uh, a, a biblical vision of work. It's really fulfilling this command to subdue, this command to love. And so, uh, please forgive me, Lord. And uh, I just pray now, thank you that you have in Christ. And I pray that I would see just a bigger vision here, what you're doing on earth, what you've called us to do as men, uh, to love you, to love others in our work, our vocation. Lord, if there are men here here tonight or listening to this that have, have, have kind of given up on their vocation and lost that vision, seen it as just a way to earn money, live in a complaining heart, maybe bitter, maybe angry. Lord, would you change their hearts? We spend so many hours working. Probably more hours with the guys and people we work with, maybe than even our own families are close. Eight, ten hours a day. Five, six days a week. May we see a drop of glory. Even a flood of glory. May there be joy. Because you are the Lord. The earth is yours and all that is therein. You rule it all. No molecule is out from underneath your control. No boss, no, no project, no company. Nothing. So we, we worship you, Lord, in this. Help us now, I pray, to your glory, that the gospel may shine forth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, have a seat. We have a few minutes. Uh, what time is it? 8.30. We'll just go as long as there's questions, if, if, if there are any. Raphael's here. Any questions? Any thoughts? Uh, I don't mean to restrict it to questions, but anything at all. I think you're talking in the dog's barking. Anything at all. Any questions? Any, any thoughts? Certainly anybody have thoughts here. Yes, sir. Gary Beach. So, we're called to work. We're called to be satisfied with where we are. And God is sovereign. But our work is cursed. And we're dealing with sinful people. And so, there's, you know, I'm sure all of us have seen it at some point. A lot of times there's injustice against ourselves, against coworkers. At the same time, we're called to submit to those above us. How do you begin to sort of balance all that with being satisfied in Christ, being unsatisfied with the injustice, etc.? I was hoping you guys didn't see that little look. Hunt, you something and you go to the perfect one. Take back what I said about USC, okay? <laughs> I mean, I mean that's reality. 
That's reality. That's the world. I mean, we all, we all, to some degree or another, we all struggle with that. And I, I can uh, like to say a couple of things. First, I like to make the analogy to a football game. You know, when you go into a football game and you have a plan, both teams have a plan, and then you get in, you get in the grind and you're getting beat up. You know, the lineman's getting knocked on his butt. You know, and you're getting mud on you, and you're getting, you know. But you keep, you, you know, we as Christians keep fighting. We keep fighting. You know, we keep, if, you know, we redress, we redress grievances and injustice through the pro- appropriate channels. You know, Kyle, I'm sure, can give you a dissertation on when is, when is uh, rebellion against tyranny appropriate. But the point is, we press. I mean, this is where light meets darkness. It is, it is going to be violent. It is going to be violent there. It's not, it's not going to be pretty, you know. It, it, but it's where he's placed us, you know, it's where he's put you. So you show what justice means. You advocate for justice. You fight for justice. You know, you turn people in who are doing wrong. You know, you do, you, you fight, the, fight the hard fight, fight the good fight, man. And, and when you fail, when, you know, when, you're, when you're throwing a block and you get thrown down, you say, Lord, forgive me. You know, get, you know, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my laziness. Forgive me for whatever. Equip me. Inspire me, fill me, and get back in the game. I mean, that's you know, that's reality. That's you know, that's that's what that's why you know we we are reliant on Him. We can't. That's a fight. We're not going to fight by ourselves. We can't fight that fight by ourselves. But we, but with Him, we're going to fight it. I mean, we're going to fight it. It's, it sounds from the way you're talking that there's some real issues in your workplace. You know, and um, brother, I don't know what they are, but I would I would say you know. With, Within the means that God has provided, fight, fight the good fight, you know. And you know, you you may be having an impact there that nobody, that only God knows, and, and perhaps the, the people who are watching you. But you know, you're not called to to look into that realm. You're called to be faithful. You're called to work. You're called to, you know, set things that are wrong right. So do it. And when you fail to do it, repent. Go do it the next day. I mean, that's all I can give you about this. But it, it is very much, I love football for that reason. I mean, you know, Tom Coughlin's going to have a perfect plan going to the Super Bowl. But I tell you what, Bill Belichick's now playing too. You know, it's, it's going to be light against darkness, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> good, Gavin. You're a man after my own heart. You got that little football deal. Who would be the light, Raphael? Ah, uh, okay. And you say? Amen, right? There you go. So you're saying that the 49ers darkness last week? That's right. <laughs> oh, I, I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, redemption, I, I think that's a whole, um, I think that's a motif. Um, Christ, God uniting all things in Christ. And, um, you know, we're always to be working toward that. And it's not going to find its perfect conclusion here. So the, the reformed view of the already, not yet. So as much as we can, obviously we're working for the good and um, for what is right, what is honorable. Um, I, I can't remember if, if it was, what do we do? Was that your final question there or the strategy to, 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 uh, to keep on? on I'm, I'm, I can't remember. It's more like how do you just have that balance of I, I should be satisfied in Christ. And my, my, my personal tendency is to go the complete opposite direction and be bitter and angry mm-hmm. at the injustice mm-hmm. against 
myself and coworkers mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so how do you have that balance of, you know, yes, we are called to work, we are called to be satisfied in Christ, but at the same time we're not supposed to be satisfied with sin. Yeah, I think um, I think there there is I think there is redress. That is to say, following procedures um, that that wisely uh, can be can be uh, employed. I'm thinking of many injustices down through the centuries where godly men stood up and in the right way addressed those. And today we're the better for it. I mean, even like child labor laws. I'm, think, I'm thinking, you know, different things that, you know, um, um, God has used us. I think that's part of common grace, isn't it? Uh, I think there are limits to that because it is a fallen world. So as long as we, we understand those limits, we realize that there is something that is coming that's going to be better. But while I can do good, I'm going to do good within those parameters. But I think that whole, that whole thing, you know, that whole... Um, Luke 6, about loving our enemies and being kind to the wicked, um, and the, the evil and the ungrateful. I don't know if you remember when I preached that, but that doesn't, you know, and, and forgiving, you know, and praying and, and turning the other cheek. And, and of course, you know, say, well, whoa, what happens if someone's being abused? Or, you know what I'm saying? So it, there, you caveat it, you know, that you, you're wanting to protect. But I think Jesus is saying your heart is not vengeful. So I think the illustration I gave is if someone's being abused, your heart isn't, I, I hate you, so I'm going to turn you in. But your heart is, I love you, and turning you in is actually, hope, you know what I'm saying? So, so that heart issue is, I think, the important one. Love God, love your neighbor, even your evil neighbor, even your ungrateful neighbor. But you're working for justice. You're not going to let that, you, you know what I'm saying? And you may get punished for it. I mean, there's some companies that if you, you, you stand up, you may lose your job. You know? But I think that, that heart issue is where God's looking but then we're going to try to do the best we can to improve it for everybody. Now, if it's just you're not getting your way, which I know it wouldn't be with you, then obviously that's another issue. Yeah, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can add a lot of it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think humility has a lot to do with how we're able to serve in a situation like what you just described. If you have a track record of a guy who honors and respects mm. those who are in authority over you, who faithfully does his work, who is gentle and quiet toward all around you, and then you see an instance of a co-worker being abused in some way, and you step, you, you, you step forth and firmly, strongly, but still humbly address that issue, you're going to have a credibility that a person who's just a kind of a, a continuous uh, critic of the management or mm -hmm. whatever will not have. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I heard partly in your question uh, uh, something about how you yourself can even be content or, or satisfied mm -hmm. in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I, I look at Joseph, and there was a man who you know, was thrown in prison unjustly, and yet he served faithfully so faithfully that the, the keeper of the prison gave total authority over all the other prisoners to Joseph. And uh, then the Lord spoke through him in interpreting those dreams. 
And God, through the, the decision of Pharaoh, uh, elevated Joseph from that. Um, I think if, if what I see in Joseph is a man whose contentment came not from the circumstances of where he worked, but from his relationship with God. Um, it didn't matter whether he was head over Potiphar's household, the, you know, one of the most powerful men in Egypt, or you know, <laughs> thrown in prison and in chains. He was content because that's where God was. There's a wonderful little book that uh, I would highly recommend to anybody who struggles with this stuff by, uh, I believe he was a 14th century monk by the name of, uh, uh, um, oh, just simply Brother Lawrence is what mm -hmm. he's called. Mm -hmm. And the little book is called The Practice of the Presence of God. Mm -hmm. Lawrence, you know, monk, lived in a monastery. Most other people worked out in the fields or they were involved in, in uh, composing music or involved in, in you know, doing the mass and various things that seemed much more uh, fulfilling. He worked in the scullery. He, uh, in the washed where? Dish, oh. The scullery. He okay. washed dishes all day, every day. That was all he did. And yet he wrote this beautiful book on the practice of the presence of God and how he was just totally happy doing what he was doing because he was always with God. Excellent. Another question. I had a question. Um, when you have uh, some clear directives of, uh, of you know, with your responsibilities of, of your job that are clear and uh, you know, things that could be like legal versus like illegal, mm. I think it's very easy to discern, like, this is illegal, I'm not doing it as a mm. Christian. But how about when you go, like, into the gray area, mm. and uh, specifically, I had a, um, a situation where I gather facts, figures, I remarkably research to help the cruise line industry makes, make more money. Mm. And uh, they wanted me to specifically go into a market, gay, lesbian market, which is very profitable. Mm. And uh, so part of my job is to actually identify them, um, bring facts and figures to management so we can develop a strategy to bring that. And I struggled with it. Mm. Um, in many ways, just some of the pictures that I had to see while doing the research. Mm. So what, what advice would you give when, you're, when, when you have that kind of that, that gray area? Because I look back right now, this is buried for a while, but there was, there was a season where I definitely mm -hmm. struggled with it. And I delegated out as much as I possibly could, but mm -hmm. this could be surface and we're going to have to confront potentially. It's a great question, Sean. So it's another thing. That's something that I know is sin, but I'm yep. called to, yep. to identify, promote, <sighs> yep. or profit. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking gay and lesbian. Sin. Yes. I've been on cruise ships. Right. It's not like everybody else there is not sinning. Right. Okay. If you know what I mean. Yeah. The fornicators, right. the drunkards, the gamblers, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> fill in the blank. So in a sense, uh, are, we, are we distinguishing in, in the sin? Uh, they're un, unbelievers. Uh, so I'm, again, I'm thinking out loud right now. All right, just please, you know, let me think out loud. I'm not 
mandating or anything, but you have a right to hear my thoughts. Corey, feel free to jump in any time you want. <laughs> uh, Sean, as long as it don't make you go on the cover, I think you're right. now that Now that would be... <laughs> now I would say this, I would say this, Sean. I think there is a principle of conscience, okay? And that's a serious principle. Uh, and I, I believe uh, as you study Scripture and as, as you would have a conviction from Scripture, my counsels do not violate your conscience. Right. Now, it should be well thought out. Right. You know, it should be, you know, conscience, biblically informed. Right. Yeah, so, you know, that's where I, I can't tell you about that one. I mean, Paul does address a couple, couple of places about conscience issues, okay? Which I did encounter because there was some, during my research there was some... Visuals. That okay, I there you go. So I delegated that. There out. you go. Give me just the facts. I don't yeah. need to see the pictures. Yeah. So you can. Yeah. Him and I had the right to report based on yeah. the facts. Yeah. So there were some areas where I said I really can't see sure. this. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm, that's the extent of my thoughts. Yeah, but I mean, the conscious issues where I was yep. going as well in my mind. Yep. You know, not violating your conscience. So if it does, then what can you do? And this is where faith comes in as well. Yeah. I know your job may be in the line. Can you ask for another assignment, another area of market research, right. etc.? Now, I realize that could be risky with your job. That's yeah. where you want to form your conscience, think through these issues carefully, granted. But if you feel like you can't, you don't. And that's where you entrust yourself to the Lord mm. in your job. And that's difficult. Yeah. And that day may come for each one of us yeah. in different places. Yeah. And it will. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Aubrey? Oh, uh, I have kind of like a similar situation. Um, back to my um, last position, I work in HR, and so I got asked a question um, from a you know employee and said, um, "How can I get my partner you know enrolled in my health benefits?" So I said, "Sure, okay, let's look at the state regulations. Let's look at the guide." And so I so I removed that situation where okay, I, I know what exactly what they're asking about. You know, it's not a man woman situation; it's a partner situation. So. So I had to totally remove that, but I stuck to the issue. You know, I stuck to the question and said, okay, here's your answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you don't qualify, unfortunately, because you know, back then the, the laws hadn't changed mm-hmm. yet. So all I could say is um, just, you know, stick to the mm-hmm. uh, market research at hand. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just, just pray, you know, that God will guide you mm-hmm. through that whole process. Because, yeah, I struggle with that, too. Like, Because, sure. okay, that question blindsided me. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, the usual answer, oh, yeah, just enroll your wife. Oh, sure, just um, enroll your husband. But, you know, when I got asked, oh, how do I enroll my partner? Sure. I'm like, oh, okay. So that's a different twist, you know. So, it's good. So, yeah, I just, you know, that, that, that would you know, be my advice. Um, you, you might actually have opportunity to, uh, you know, to share with your superiors something about you know, what Christian conscience is all about um, mm. by being able to go to them. And again, you've got to go humbly, you've got to go submissively, you've got to go gently. And yet, you know, if you've reached the conclusion, I can't in good conscience do this, uh, and you're willing to, to make the sacrifice, two things can happen there. One, your, your superiors can perhaps recognize, you know, there's there's part of this work that we're asking somebody to do that really is is properly offensive to a conscience. 
and it might actually wake them up to do some more thinking about you know, the sorts of, of appeals they might want to make. Um, but another thing that can happen is that they'll realize, you know, a guy who's willing to make that big a sacrifice for conscience sake, wow, we don't want to lose that guy as a worker. He's going to, he's going to be conscientious in other things as well. So you might not have that terribly much risk. And then you also have to, you know, the, a verse that came to my mind immediately was uh, Psalm, what is it, 111 verse 2, I think. No, no I can't remember, but it's, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And you know, especially if you were getting stuck having to see images that just were, were ungodly, I think you'd have a, a really, I would have a very tough time. I know when James Dobson served on the Attorney General's Commission on Pornography in 1982, 3 and 4, I think those were the years, uh, I mean, they, they had to view stuff that was just so demonic. I mean, it was, it was way beyond what anybody would normally see in most hardcore pornography. Stuff where real, real killings were going on on tape. He said it was the most difficult thing he ever did, but it was filled with spiritual warfare. Uh, and he just had to have a, a huge group of people praying intensively for him during that. So another thing to do is to turn to your brothers and sisters and say, I've got this assignment, and I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced that I have to conscientiously refuse to do it, but it's very tough. There's a lot of temptation involved. Please pray for me. And on that note, I do want to pray. Um.